A year ago, a colleague came to me with a very difficult case of cyberbullying he was overseeing at his school. I listened with rapt attention. The stakes were enormous, yet neither he nor any of the students at the school had been given the resources that they needed to navigate these difficult waters. How many of you have faced such scenarios? How many of you are confident that you have the resources internally or at your school to move towards a safe outcome and even in the process help students learn lessons as leaders? This month's EDGE interviewee, Dr. Catherine Steinradere, is an expert in such matters, a research associate at Harvard Medical School, and a celebrated speaker who knows our independent school cultures inside and out. She gives practical gems that can help any teacher navigate these difficult times and in the process develop leaders. Well, good morning. We're here this morning with Dr. Catherine Steiner-Adair, who's a prolific author and speaker and developmental psychologist. And Catherine, thanks so much for spending the time to be with us. Oh, I'm very excited to be with you. And you have done so much work in exactly the areas that the GCLI is focused on, namely, how do we help students to become better leaders? Um, what are some of the things that you think about when you think about helping students emerge as leaders? Well, I guess I think about how do we help students stay connected to their own inner moral compass and how do we help them trust their own leadership voice and how do we help them understand really what it means to be a leader. You know, you can lead by joining with, standing against, being quiet. Leadership comes in so many different forms and I think kids have a lot of misconceptions about what leadership is. I think schools so often have a very narrow definition of what leadership is. You can stand with, stand for, stand against, stand by. And I think the more we help kids understand that everybody has within them the capacity to lead. Leadership comes in every body, size, shape, and color. And you're going to find in yourself as you think about yourself as a leader, all different ways in which you actually experience your, yourself as taking a leadership move, taking a leadership stance, being a leader, embodying leadership. I think another thing that's really challenging today is on the one hand, there are so many cool, amazing examples of kids being leaders. The internet is so fantastic for this. You, know, you can go on so many websites and see amazing, courageous, brave leadership activities that ordinary kids are doing all over the globe. And on the other hand, kids are growing up in certain social networking sites where leadership is defined actually in very contrary uh, values, where it's cool to be cool, where you get really popular and sort of become a leader of a certain kind if you are snarky, how many likes or followers you get. So kids today are growing up with two very different extreme models of leadership. We've got Donald Trump, you know, using social networking sites and debates to humiliate people. That's a form of leadership in our country right now. And we've got great young people changing the world. One of the things that you said to me uh, previously was that in your experience, students are spending an awful lot of time on the internet. Yes. And um, the majority of it is actually they're doing good things, but the minority they're doing bad things. I wonder if you can speak to that. 
Well, about 80% of the time, and you know, these are generalized research stats, but 80% of the time, kids are doing wonderful things online. And they're actually taking little and sometimes very big leadership moves. Um, kids are helping each other out. They're playing collaboratively in some wonderful situations I've been able to research. Kids are saving each other's lives because a child will post an email quote or a lyric from a song and a student will go to a trusted adult in their school and say, you know, this kid posted this, I'm kind of worried, it's not like them, or this lyric is really edgy and it usually implies somebody's in very serious trouble. And so kids are stepping up and being upstanders online and through their connections online in ways that I think are wonderful. But the bad stuff that they're doing, the 2% or 10% or 20%, is really bad. And we know that there are all sorts of ways in which the human brain interacts with technology, particularly the adolescent brain, although we certainly see this behavior in adults as well, where things like anonymity and the dopamine stimulant to your brain that comes with texting, particularly texting something snarky or mean, like getting in a text war, and the disinhibition that happens with texting and anonymity, and the fact that you use lose your filter and ambient awareness where you are in time and space. So kids beginning at eight are saying things and being bold and taking risks, not the kind of pro-social risks we want them to take, but mean-spirited ones like eight-year-olds sending texts like you, letter U, R, letter R, fat, you are ugly, you are not my friend, you deserve to die. And in my work in schools, uh, we do a lot of work on helping kids connect who they are face-to-face -face during the school day and then who they are online and really trying to help kids be their best self in both domains. So you help the, you help the students connect to their own identity, whether they're offline or online, mm -hmm. and you've seen good results? It's working? <laughs> well, I think it takes a lot. I think you really have to put certain things in place in your school to do this. And I think one of the biggest things schools struggle with, and this is a huge challenge is that we are sending kids home with iPads, we're sending kids home with Google Docs to do homework and in the context of doing their homework they're doing some really yucky things using racist language, misogynistic language, they're sending things like with the subject heading this will help with tonight's homework and you click on the link and it's some really edgy sadistic pornographic YouTube tape and then we expect kids to come to school the next day and be lab partners and work together. And meanwhile, they've had what they would say is some serious drama online. And what's really tricky is that if kids were to say in those schools directly what went on online, they'd get sent home because the language they use online is the kind of language that you get sent home for disciplinary action. A lot of very, frankly, racist and sexist and mean comments. And unless schools make it safe and find an educationally appropriate way to help kids actually talk directly about the language they use online, I think we are abandoning them and reinforcing a bad kind of leadership. So a lot of my work in schools is helping people rethink about advisory and how do we make advisory a sanctuary of sorts where kids can actually not euphemistically say things like, oh, I was bullied online, but really say, what was said, how it made them feel, get advice from their peers, how to stop it, how to confront it, how to 
clean up all the litter in their relationships online. I think we're gonna we're abandoning kids today when we don't make this possible. And what we see from the research is when you do create this kind of advisory in a school, it brings all of this down by about fifty percent, which is pretty exciting. Do you find that teachers that, that teachers who don't necessarily have the training as, counsel, as counselors or developmental psychologists can be comfortable taking this on? One of the things I love about this model of advisory called Open Session, developed by Janice Tobin, is that it equips any teacher who is an advisor to hold a very meaningful advisory session. One of the hard things about being an advisor is so often advisors feel like they're not trained. You have, you, do I need to be a clinical psychologist, a school counselor? And it's a format that really empowers and enables any teacher to hold a very meaningful conversation in advisory. And what's most meaningful about it, in a way, is that the students are being their smartest self, their most empathic self, their most thoughtful self in helping one another solve their problems. If we can teach kids the tools of leadership, like empathy, and how to ask clarifying questions, and how to give very thoughtful advice, then we are really giving our students the three most important leadership tools that any teacher or head of school or head of a company uses all the time. You have to know how to listen actively and empathically. You have to know how to ask really good questions to clarify the dilemma. And you have to try and see whether you have some wisdom to pass on in any given situation. Do you have any particular uh, tools or, or techniques that you like to give to teachers to help them teach these skills to students? Well, one thing that I, I do is I, I'd like to teach and train teachers in open session, but there are also, there's a whole curriculum of social emotional learning, K-8, pretty comprehensive, that I work with, that I think gives teachers, beginning with five-year-olds, very important critical tools that, in a developmentally very thoughtful way, helps young people uh, understand leadership and develop their own leadership capabilities both in terms of their own actions and in their relationships to their peers and the world around them. One of the things I think is going on right now in education that's very exciting is that as we flip learning more to primary source, if we use technology in appropriate ways that are highly additive, we also create space and see that it is essential now to put digital citizenship, social-emotional learning, leadership education in the core of a school's curriculum. Usually these things are siloed or additive or after school or some kids get it and some kids don't or schools have responsive classroom which is a wonderful uh, tool to use but it's not as specific as teaching K through eight every year, very specific tools for self-regulation, for conflict resolution, for uh, stress management for really dealing with differences and identity issues. And I think it's a very exciting moment to be an educator because we're realizing that leadership education and social-emotional intelligence 
uh, and really drawing from the research on the brain and um, social emotional learning shows us that these are the critical tools for any of our students to live into their leadership potential. You can teach content, but content alone will not create a thoughtful leader. Do, do any stories or examples come to mind which sort of illustrate a student or a teacher um, who was able to deliver exactly what you're talking about? One example that comes to my mind is how important it is to teach high school kids that supporting risky behavior is actually not the right thing you want to do and how to give them the kind of language so they can stop a friend from doing something really dangerous. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you're mad at me. Those are very important leadership words for adolescents to have. I don't care if you hate me. We're not getting in the car with your best friend because he's had too much to drink. I don't care if you hate me. I know you are throwing up, skipping meals, and you're really struggling. And if you don't come with me to see a school counselor, I'm going to go without you because I love you and I care about you. And I'm really worried about you. So what does leadership look like and what does leadership sound like? in the deeper friendship zones of high school kids. And I think that the more we actually help kids understand what a leadership move looks like and the stakes that are high, but what's the right thing to do and how do you find the courage inside of you to do it and how do you find the language, I think these are really important educational uh, experiences that today's kids really need because they have unprecedented access to one another. It's the first generation that they can connect 24-7, which means they have great power, which means they have great responsibility. And I think it's incumbent upon us as educators to do everything we can to help them use technology, use these wonderful opportunities to be their best selves. Wow, those were so powerful because those moments are prolific within, within schools That's and right. so many tragedies could be averted. You can talk to kids about, gee, you look mad, or I can tell that made you upset. And that's a helpful conversation, but more helpful is to have the two kids involved at the conflict at recess with, you know, 14 other kids draw an escalator, a staircase going up and a staircase going down. And what you do is you identify at each um, wedge of the staircase, you know, you called me slow. I kicked you. You told me I couldn't run. I hit you. You know, you, you, so you map out how the whole thing escalated. And then the group together comes up with the other side. How do we de-escalate that? How would we do it differently? So when you concretize these things and give kids learning tools and rubrics in kindergarten, first and second grade, then by third, fourth and fifth grade, they've internalized this and they, know they can do more of this on their own. So, you know, we say things like use your words. 
Well, you can't use your words until you've calmed yourself down. So you have to teach kids belly breathing. You have to teach kids self-regulation. Then they can use their words. So to me, we know a lot more today. We know so much more today about how to teach self-regulation, empathy, active listening, how to teach kids third, fourth, and fifth grade the difference between what a person looks like on the outside and what they're actually feeling on the inside. So when we give kids these tools very specifically and we practice them, by the time they get to middle school, they are much better at dealing with all the social dynamics of middle school because they have tools to help them. And they're so much more tuned into their intrapersonal world as well as other people's interpersonal worlds that they can function better when stuff happens. It's not that we prevent things from happening. Things happen with kids. But what we want to do in part of leadership training, leadership education, is as children get older, giving them resources and tools so they can solve their own problems. And they don't only think that uh, the way to solve a problem is to go to a teacher or go to the school counselor. And ultimately, by the time kids graduate from high school, we want our students to have leadership tools so they know how to handle group dynamics, so they know who they are as a leader, so they know their own personal style, they know when they fold, they know when they feel bold, they know how they interact with other people, and they know how to think about a system and a group, and they know how to be sensitive culturally and to other people's styles. So these are all things we can teach kids if we think it's important and valuable.